Tonight's scripture is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the word of the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies unto God, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The text is really talking about not necessarily what God, what we desire from God, but what God desires from us. You don't hear that much these days because generally when we talk about prayer or we talk about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or we talk about walking with God, especially centered around prayer, it is, it is less so much as what God wants from us as it is for what we want from God. Especially living in this country, living in the United States of America, I'm really very very excited and grateful to be able to live in this country, but as I travel throughout the world, I found out that we are some of the most selfish people on the earth. And so when we go to Haiti and children are fighting off buzzards for banana peels, or when they go to Ghana and babies are eating roadkill, you go to Nigeria and people are making $164 a year. And then we get here and our children throw a pity party when we don't buy them $200 shoes. It lets us know that we're selfish people. Not just you, I'm talking about myself. I often can be extremely selfish. I whine and cry about things that other people in other places are praying about. Many things that you're trying to get rid of, somebody is on their face right now praying that they would have it. And so the reality of the time and the season that we are in is most of us have our hands lifted out, but we don't have our hands lifted up. And so today, for the next just few moments, I I really don't want to promise you anything about what God is going to do for you. This is not probably the sermon that you're going to hear, that God is going to give you a Mercedes or Lexus or a jacuzzi or 10 more thousand square feet. This is, this is a sermon that talks about maybe not what God could do for you, but perhaps what God is desiring of you. I took my kids to main event the other week and took a couple more kids with me. And as they were buying stuff and putting coins in machines and ordering pizza, My children told the other kids, just get whatever you want. It's all free. (laughs) Just get it. And they just start buying stuff and ordering stuff. And and, uh, everybody was just getting what they want because they thought it was free. You know, a lot of stuff that people see you doing is great. It's huge. It's amazing. But they don't understand the cost that comes with it. And uh, even our salvation, our salvation was free, but people don't understand that it was free to us, but it wasn't free. It cost God not something, but it cost him everything. It cost him his only begotten son. 
So here's the reality, family. Yes, God has given you liberty in Christ. Yes, by grace are you saved through faith, not of your own selves. It's the gift of God, not of works of the sinning man should boast. Yes, God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. All of that is true. Our salvation is free, but that does not mean that after we get saved that there are no expectations from the Father. God bless you. That does not mean that God does not want something back from you. David says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his, of his benefits? That that's a statement of saying, what, God has been so faithful to me. It is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. His compassion filleth us not great as thy faithfulness. With every single morning comes a brand new mercy. What can I give back to God because he has given me so much. And so I believe that this particular passage, this, 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 this writing of Paul is charging us through plenary, plenary inspiration that we need to be considering today, family. What can we give God back? He doesn't need a car. He doesn't need a house. He doesn't need a vacation. What can we, what can we give God back? When was the last time you prayed? And you ask God for nothing, absolutely nothing, not the, the, the curing of cancer and not the re- reconciliation of a relationship or, or, or not the increase on the job or not that you flourish in business or not even that we do better in our fundraising. When was the last time that we have gone to the Lord and spent quality time with the Father first in Thanksgiving and then asking him, what can I do for you? After all, this whole thing that we call Christianism is not really about a religion. It's about a relationship, right? Say something to me. It's, it's, about, it's, a, it's about a relationship, right? It's so, so, so what if you're in a relationship with your husband or your wife, and, and every time you go to that husband or a wife, you, you have your hand out on asking them what they can do for you? What, what, what can you give me? Can you, can you buy me this? Can you give me this? Can you, can you give me more of this? Is that really a relationship? Or, or is it a contract? And so God is challenging us no longer to see our relationship with him as a contract, but as a covenant. What will you leave this place today giving to God? Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, number one, your bodies unto the Lord. Your bodies. You want me to tell you what God wants from us? Here's one thing. He wants your bodies. And the scriptures, the Bible teaches us that our bodies is the temple, for we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that God is desiring from us is that, that he He requires for us to give us his temple, his temple. He wants your body. He wants your your body, your hands, your feet. The Bible says that, that that God raised up Jesus from the grave and and took him to heavenly places. He is seated with the Father even right now. And he's, and he's there in heavenly places. And, and he's taken him far above all powers and principalities and rulers of darkness of this world. And spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. The Bible says, according to Ephesians 1, that he is the head. That we, the church, is the body and the enemy is under our feet. So God has called us to be his body. 
The heavens belong unto the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of man. We are the body of Christ. So when God wants to do something in the earth, he uses his hands. You're the hands of God. When God wants to do something in the earth, he uses his feet. You are the feet of God. When, when, God, when God wants to do something in the earth, he uses his heart. Our heart should beat like Jesus' heart beat while he was here. We are the body of Christ. So what can I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits? I can give him my temple. I can give him my body. He says, give me your body. He says, I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present unto God your body as a living sacrifice. That's absolutely amazing. I know it doesn't seem like it's amazing, but that was revolutionary. That's a real revolutionary comment. A living sacrifice. It absolutely makes no sense. There's no such thing as a living sacrifice in that culture. And so when, they, when, he, when he says that to them, it messes up the minds of the reader because it's complicated. What do you mean a living sacrifice? There's no such thing as a, as a living sacrifice. The word living sacrifice is zio-thusea. Zio-living, thusea, sacrifice. It made no sense to them because these are Jewish readers. And they're saying there's no such thing as a living sacrifice because all sacrifices are dead. They're all dead. So why, Paul, would you say that you want us to give us, give God our bodies as a living sacrifice? Don't you mean a dead sacrifice? A sio through say a living sacrifice? No, you mean an apothesco through say a dead sacrifice, right? And Paul says, no, no, I want you to give God your body a living sacrifice. Well, how, how can that be? Because the sacrifices are dead all the way through the scriptures if you were going to sacrifice you're going to bring the lord an offering you got to bring a turtle dove you got to be a bring a lamb you got to bring a bullock you got to bring a goat right you, you got to kill something so you can get the blood in order for it to be a sacrifice there's no such thing as a living sacrifice it has to be dead he says i don't want you to give god god doesn't want you to give him an apothesco to say a dead sacrifice. He says, "I want." He won't say a a a a to say a living sacrifice. I know I've messed up most of you. You have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. And so, when God spoke this to me, I had no absolutely no idea what 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 He was trying to teach me. And then I got the revelation, and I got it in here, but I didn't know how to express it. And so, I went through all of these books trying to figure out how do I explain the difference between a zayotusaya and a apothesco to say a living sacrifice and a, de- and a dead sacrifice and as I go through all of these scriptures and all of these books and I pull all of this stuff off the shelf trying to get it I couldn't get it and so I got frustrated and I went to a place that I used to frequent called the Waffle House I know y'all don't know nothing about that y'all don't know nothing about that y- y- y'all just know what Chesapeake's is I'm talking about the Waffle House you know the cold place where they just refuse to cut the air up so, so I'm sitting there and I'm frustrated, right? And I'm trying to say, God, how do I explain the difference between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice? And apathisco thusea and a zayothusea. And I ordered, I ordered the super breakfast. And on the super breakfast, it was before I, I stopped eating pork, but it was on the, su- the super breakfast. You had just about anything you could think of. And so I, 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 I got the, I got the, I, I got the bacon. 
I got the eggs. I got the hash browns. I like them scattered and smothered and capped. I'm sorry. Y'all know what I'm talking I'm getting a little hungry now. Uh, but, but, and, I got all, and I got the coffee. And, and God said to me, Daryl, you're not going to find a way to explain or even understand the difference between a zyothusay and an apoktiskothusay, a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice and a book. It's on your plate. What do you mean? He says you, you, you have the truth on your plate. It's, it's on your plate. I said, what are you saying? And God spoke to me and he says, he says, I want you, I want you to look at your eggs. He says, your eggs and your bacon are both sacrifices in order for you to enjoy the meal. He says, but your eggs, hear this, come from a chicken. And that chicken had to sacrifice that egg in order for you to enjoy the meal. He says, but the bacon, the hog also has to sacrifice in order for you to enjoy the meal. He says, the difference is this. The chicken can give up the egg and sacrifice and keep on living. But the hog, when it gives up its sacrifice, it has to die. Here's the reality. Jesus was our dead sacrifice. He was the hog. He had to die. And all he is calling us to be is the chicken. To give up eggs, to give up our, our life, and to give up our finances, and to give up our worship, and to give up our joy, and to give up our discipleship. He says, if I can die for you in the Old Testament, you ought to at least be able to bring some eggs in the new. You ought to at least be able to sacrifice and show up to church. You ought to be able at least to sacrifice and give your tithes and your offering. You ought to at least be able to sacrifice and give up your life to be able to serve hurting women and children. God says, quit complaining about being a Zyothusea, a living sacrifice. At least I didn't ask you to be a dead one. Brothers and sisters, if we want to bring God glory, if we really want to give Back to the Lord, if we want to render unto the Lord something for all of his benefits, the first thing you got to do is be willing to be a living sacrifice. Your your bodies belong to the Lord. According to the book of Thessalonians, the Bible says, may the Lord sanctify us in our bodies, our soul, and our spirit. For some reason, we think that the only thing that Jesus died and redeemed us from and purchased was our spirit. No, he owns your spirit, he owns your soul, and he owns your body. These temples belong to the Lord. Number one. If we're going to give back to the Lord, number one, we have to give him our temples. Number two, if we're going to give back to the Lord, we're going to have to give him our thoughts, our thoughts, your, your mind. It's right there in the text. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody say, my mind. The Lord wants your mind. I don't know if you're going to be honest, but here's the reality about me. When the enemy tries to attack me with doubt and unbelief and fear and unforgiveness and bitterness, 
He doesn't attack my body. He attacks my mind. My mind is the devil's playground. So even when I'm holy in my, in, my, in my activity, even when I'm holy in my body, sometimes I can be so unholy in my mind. That, that's why I, you, you never hear me condemning people. You never hear me judging people. You never hear me you're dogging people and, 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 and pointing my finger at people. You know why? Because they may be doing it in their body, but if the truth be told, I'm doing it in my mind. Can I ask you a question? How holy have you been in your mind? Should I pass the mic around? <laughs> she said, no, 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 no. So, so how, how holy have you been in your, in your mind? Of course we say we forgive people because that's the church thing to do. But have you really forgiven them in your mind? Of course, you hug people and pass the peace and tell everybody you love them and I miss you and I hadn't seen you since last Sunday. But do you really, really mean that in your mind? God knows that if he can control your mind, he can control your body. Whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why he, he quotes all of these scriptures. You got all these scriptures about, about your mind. If you keep your mind stayed on Jesus, he will keep you in, in perfect peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your heart and your, and your mind here. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, brothers and sisters... Real repentance is not changing your behavior. That's, that is not even the correct exegesis for the word repentance. Repentance is not changing your behavior. Because I know a whole lot of people, Daniel, that if they've changed their behavior, but they haven't changed their mind. They haven't changed their mind. They feel the same way. They think the same way. They just have changed their behavior. That's why all of these steps don't necessarily work. You can't do nothing without Christ. You can do all of these steps and have all of these programs, but it is only God who has the ability to change your mind. And if you change your mind, you can change your destiny. You can change your destiny. If, you, if we can get our, our minds changed. The, the word there, he says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Y'all know what that means to be changed. By the renewing, by the renewing. This is a beautiful term in the Greek. The, the renewing, by the endocondesis, the, the word there, renewing, speaks of renovations. What, what he is saying to us is your mind needs renovations. Your, your mind needs renovation. Your, your pastor's been praying for me for years. And, and he prayed for me uh, because we had people, but we didn't have a church. And, and so when I would get stress, stressed out and frustrated and, and upset, I, I would call Doug and I say, Doug, man, I, I just want a church. And so I was looking for all of these churches and we were trying to build and we just didn't have the money and we just didn't have the, 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 the resources to be able to build a church. And so we were riding down the street one day and, and, and I look at Sam Furrow's old bookstore, the old warehouse, and it was 116,000 square feet of garbage. You all have seen it. It was terrible. I mean, there was, there was no concrete. It looked like the, the bricks were falling apart. It looked like it had mold in the building. And someone said to me, that's, that's our building. 
I said, that's maybe your building. <laughs> that, 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 ain't, that ain't my building. And, and so, and so I, I listened to them because they were a voice of counsel and I just couldn't sleep. And the Lord began to speak to me and said, that's your building. I said, God, I, want, I don't want that building. I want something nice. I want screens on the wall and, 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 I, and I want chandeliers and I want the lights. I want smoke like all my other friends. I don't want that. I don't want mold. I don't want asbestos. I, I, he, he'd been trying to find us a building for years. We, we could never find a building. So I pull a, a contractor architect in and, and the architect, I walk in the building and it's got junk everywhere and it's nasty and, and, and it's, uh, bugs and stuff and rats and stuff are running around and, and, and I, I'm in there scared and the architect's looking around smiling. I'm like, what are you smiling about? He's like, oh yeah, the sanctuary can go here and the prayer tower can go here and oh yeah, they can have a little cafe right here. And I was like, man, what are you talking about, man? You see these rats and stuff running around here? He, he says, Daryl, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. He says, you've got to get your mind wrapped around this. He says, you don't have to tear the building down and start over. You can just renovate it. You can renovate that that building, and, and, and change the purpose of it and build it in a way that fits the kingdom of God. And God spoke to me as I was looking at this text. He says that, that, that building, that old beat up asbestos, uh, no concrete rat infested building that you purchased and you renovated it, that was your mind before I saved you. Your mind was broken. Your mind was full of crazy stuff running through it. Your mind was dark. But, but what I've called you to do through the Holy Spirit and through the mercies of God is to renovate your mind. That's what I'm challenging you all to do tonight. Renovate your mind. I know what you've gone through. I know you were treated poorly. I, I know they didn't treat you like you should have been treated. I know you've been through some things that you're ashamed of. And I know that you've gone through some season in life that were not completely in line with the will of God for your life. But you don't have to be where you were. All you got to do is renovate your mind. And when we renovated that building, the value went up. If you will renovate your mind, the value of your mind will go up. He wants your, he wants your temple. He wants your thoughts. And as I close tonight, he wants your testimony. Tell somebody beside you, he wants your testimony. I've been coming here long enough. Y'all know how to do that. Touch somebody's side, tell him he wants your testimony. <laughs> tell somebody on the other end. They don't want you to touch him, but touch him anyway and tell him God wants your testimony. <laughs> what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits? What can I give God back for what he gave to me? I can give him my temple. I can give him my thoughts, which is my mind. And then thirdly, I can give him my testimony, Chris. It's in the text. It's right here. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Now, now many Bible teachers believe that this word prove speaks of proving that you're saved. 
proving that you're walking with God, proving that you're literally walking the things out of God. That is not what I believe that this this text is speaking of. It, it, it really doesn't speak of that you prove something in regards to the verb sense. It really speaks of you being the proof of something. You see, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. If people look at you and they see your transformation, they see that you were this broken, bruised, tore up warehouse, and then God saved you, you are the proof that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. You don't have to get another track. You don't have to wear another what would Jesus do t-shirt. You don't have to get another uh, 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 license plate that says that God is my co-pilot, which is dumb. I don't want to be my co-pilot. I want to be my pilot. Can I get a witness up in here? But but you don't, you don't have to do all of that. You don't have to throw Bibles at people to get them to believe that Jesus is the Lord. You are the proof. The transformation of your life is the proof. When you walk away from the old you and step into the new you, you become the proof. When you say no to that which you want to say yes to and say yes to that which you want to say no to, you are the proof. When you love people that won't love you back, you are the proof. So we don't have to prove anything Pastor, I want to testify. I want to be a witness, man. But I don't know all that scripture. Baby, you are the scriptures. The Bible calls us living epistles. And the word became flesh and dwelled among men. Your life is the proof that if God can change somebody, he can change anybody. In John 11, it's a long story. So hard to preach it to Daniel. This whole piece with Lazarus, isn't it hard to preach because you got like 50 verses? Like I need two-week revival for that, (laughs) right? It's got 50-something verses talking about this story with Lazarus, right? But but y'all know the story. Lazarus, he dies and Jesus allows him to die and it's supposed to be his friend and you're not supposed to let your friend die and then Jesus shows up and everybody in the house mad at Jesus and Mary and Martha, there ain't no more cooking for you, sir, right? You ain't staying at my crib no more. And all that, you know, if you love me, you wouldn't let my brother die and all of that. And then Jesus says to, to them, take me to where you have laid him. What, what, he, was, what, the, what he was saying to them is, take me to the place where you stop believing me. Yeah. And they get to the to tomb and there's a, there's a stone there and Jesus says, roll away the stone. And they plead with Jesus because they don't want to do it. They don't want to see their dead brother. And they say this, but master, he stinketh by now. Oh, w- what is it? that you won't put your faith on anymore because God hadn't moved on your behalf yet. You don't even pray about it anymore. Yeah, but Daryl, he stinketh by now. I don't know who I'm talking to, but God told me to tell you, it's not too late for God to resurrect what you have deemed dead. 
He can meet you right where you are. Roll away the stone. And they roll away the stone. And Jesus looks in that empty cave that is full of darkness and decay and says, Lazarus, come forth. Old preachers say that the reason he called Lazarus' name is because there's so much power in the words of Jesus that if he hadn't have called Lazarus' name, every dead person within 200 miles would have gotten up. That's how much power is in his word. The Bible says Lazarus hopped out the cave. Well, maybe that's not what it says. But he had to hop out of the cave because the next thing that Jesus tells them is this. Unwrap him, loose him, and let him go. So he was wrapped up in mummy clothes. One of the things I love about God is he'll let you come out even when you still look dead. That's a good word there. Because he can see beyond what you look like. He'll bless your potential. And the Bible says they unwrap him. And this is where I'm trying to go and close. They unwrap him. And Lazarus just goes back to his family. Starts living again. But there's a verse that most people never see. The next chapter says, And from that moment on, they no longer sought to kill Jesus, but they sought to kill Lazarus also. They no longer just sought to kill Jesus, but they sought to kill Lazarus also. We know why they're trying to kill Jesus, but why are you trying to kill Lazarus? Because Lazarus was the proof that he was the resurrection and the light. The enemy wants you to hide the evidence. That's why he doesn't want you to share your testimony, doesn't want you to witness to your family, doesn't want you to talk to your boss about Jesus. Because if he knows, if he can get you to hide your proof and kill Lazarus, then nobody will believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. That's three challenges I have for you today in this room, all souls. And it's the same three challenges that Paul has as he writes to the Romans. What shall we render unto the Lord for all of his benefits? Give him your temple. Give him your body. Give him your time. Give him your money. Give him your gifts. Give him your talent. What shall we render unto the Lord for all of his benefits? Give him your thoughts. Allow him to do renovations on your mind. And don't fight the construction process. And thirdly, give him your testimony. Share what the Lord 
has done for you. If he healed your body, decree and declare to those that are sick that he is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord God that heals us. If he allowed you to prosper in a season where you didn't have money to pay bills, decree and declare that he is Jehovah Jireh. I've never seen the Lord, the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging the bread. If he is giving you If he's giving you peace in the midst of a chaotic season in your life, decree and declare that he is Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord God who gives you peace that surpasses all understanding. Whatever you do, don't hide the evidence. You're the proof that God is who he said that he is. Every head bowed. Every eye closed.